Our scripture reading is from the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 3, verses 7 to 19. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I soar in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, <clears throat> that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not the, with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they, <clears throat> they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Last month, our, our teen ministry uh, held an all-nighter at the YMCA in Augusta with a Star Wars theme. And so I'm going to start out this morning with a few questions about the Star Wars movies, okay? And they are raise-your-hand questions, okay? So I'm going to start. The first question is, is there anyone here, raise your hand, who went to see the original Star Wars movie in the theaters? Wow, you guys are old. <laughs> so old. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right, so secondly, who here this morning has seen all of the Star Wars movies? The old ones, the new ones? Okay, fewer. I think fewer than saw the original movie in the theaters, but still quite a few. All right, next one is who's seen at least three of the Star Wars movies? Raise your hand. Okay, almost everybody. Who here has seen at least one of the Star Wars movies? Raise your hand. Okay. Who here has never seen any of the Star Wars movies? Raise your hand. Okay. We're actually here this morning to do an intervention for you guys. <laughs> that you could get with the culture here. <laughs> no, this, the Star Wars movies are a cultural phenomenon, though, aren't they? I would say pretty confidently that anyone who is here this morning who is over the age of three has at least heard of Star Wars, right? Even if they haven't seen the movies, we have heard of the Star Wars movies, um, and Pastor Brian must be a huge Star Wars fan because his son August was born on Star Wars Day, May the 4th, um, but according to that logic, he's probably now a huge Freddy Krueger fan because his son that was just born was born on Friday the 13th, so I'm not sure if that works. Uh, but uh, Star Wars has been a cultural phenomenon since the first movie, Episode 4, came out, which I know is super confusing. Uh, Episode 4 was the first movie. Imagine if Rocky 4 was the first Rocky movie. Or if uh, Back to the Future Part 3 was the first Back to the Future movie. Now, that might make more sense in a time-traveling movie, I guess. But, uh, but that, that doesn't matter. I think that probably the most 
reasonable explanation for the order of the Star Wars movies, that when they got together to decide the order of the movies, Yoda said something about the order of the movies, and everybody got confused. He said, like, watch episode four first, we will, or something, and they, everyone got confused, and that's how it ended up happening. Anyways, uh, in 1977, the first Star Wars movie came out, A New Hope, which also was the year Hope Baptist Church was founded. Coincidence? You be the judge. In the Star Wars movie, there, there were a group of people who are called the Rebels, and they formed together to form the Rebel Alliance. Now, I have a question for you. Is the Rebel Alliance the good guys or the bad guys? They're the good guys. Okay, yeah. So maybe it's because of our collective love for Star Wars, or maybe it's because of our country's history with the rebellion against the British, that whenever we hear the word rebel, we think of a hero. We think of a guy that I brought a picture of this morning. Oh, that was actually the second guy. So, yeah, two, two guys. All right, so either of those guys we think of, okay, as the hero. Oh, I wanted to pick the power converters. That's a quote of his. Okay. I don't have a quote uh, from Mel Gibson this morning. Okay. But when we think of, of rebel and patriot, those things are often synonymous, which I guess in recent days I'd have to side with the British to say that the patriots are the bad guys, but I would just be probably thinking about football. When we hear of a rebellion, we think of a good cause. And so throughout the history of the United States, the mantra of many Americans has been resist authority or rebel against authority. Now, having a rebellion can be good if what we're rebelling against is evil. For instance, if you were to rebel against the evil galactic empire and Darth Vader, that would be a good thing. But rebellion only has a good connotation when it is against evil. Rebellion in its very definition is not a good thing. Rebellion means resisting authority, often violently. And looking in our Bibles, we can see that rebellion didn't begin in the American colonies and didn't begin in the galaxy a long time ago, far, far away, or however that goes. Um, rebellion has been around since the very first man, Adam, rebelled against God and has continued with every man and every woman throughout all history, including everyone sitting here and standing here and those who can't be here this morning. Now, there, there are some things in Scripture that are debated as to their meaning and to their interpretation, but this is not one of those things. There's no debate about this one, that people, all people, every person living, every person that has ever lived with the exception of Jesus, are sinners. We see that very clearly in Romans 6, which we are going to look at several times today as we go through our message. But that sin, in its definition, is rebellion. Rebellion against God and His plan and His ways and His perfection. So if every single person, billions upon billions of people throughout all of history have all rebelled against God, then we have a great big problem. But today in our passage from Hebrews, we're going to see that although our rebellion is great, Jesus is greater. We're going to talk today about three reminders of why Jesus is greater than our rebellion as we look at Hebrews 3 together and as we look back at a famous time of rebellion in the Old Testament. 
So if you would take out your sermon outline, uh, if you have it in your bulletins, the blue sheet, if you're using online, you can pull up the outline there as well from our website and the online bulletin. And if you would keep your Bibles open to Hebrews 3, I would appreciate that too. We won't be reading all of those from our outline this morning, so it is important that you have that open. Although Star Wars began with episode four, we're actually going to do something crazy and start with our first point here this morning, our first reminder of why Jesus is greater than our rebellion, and that is we were slaves. Last week we were reminded of the greatness of Moses and that he was highly regarded as a prophet and a priest of God, a representative and a faithful servant in God's house. Moses was called by God to lead the Israelites up out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of the bondage that they had been in for over 400 years. And he did that. But before we jump back to Hebrews 3 and and talk about uh, the correlation to us today, I want to look at Exodus 6 where God met with Moses and, and told him what to say to the people while they were still there in slavery. I put those verses from Exodus on your outline this morning so you can follow along with me. But Exodus 6, starting in verse 6, God said to Moses there, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into a land that I swore to give Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. There are a few things that we see here in the time of the people of the Exodus that are important about the slavery of the Israelites. And first is that this generation of people that Moses would lead out of Egypt, would free from slavery, they knew only slavery. They were born into slavery, and they had lived their entire lives in slavery. But God, through Moses, called them to come up out of slavery, and and he broke the chains of their bondage in many miraculous ways, which we don't have time to get into today. But he led them out of Egypt miraculously to bring them to a land that he had promised to their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to fulfill that promise. What we see in our passage today in Hebrews 3, as we talk about rebellion, is that the slavery that we see back in Exodus is now in the past tense. So in this illustration that the author of Hebrews is going to use, slavery has already ended, and they have entered into the next part of their story. They have already come out of slavery They've already come out under the leadership of Moses. We, we start in verse 7. It says there, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. And then down in verse 16, it says, For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? So we see that they had already left Egypt at this time. The people were slaves, but they heard God's call. And they followed God's leading, they listened to God's voice, and they were freed from their slavery. They came up out of Egypt, they came up out of the bondage of the Egyptians. And we'll get to that rebellion that we see repeated there over and over in just a second. But I want to make the connection of what the the author of Hebrews is drawing between 
those people that were in slavery and us today. It says there, today, if you hear his voice, like the Israelites heard his voice back then. This is how we are like the people of the Exodus. We were slaves, just like them, past tense. Only we weren't slaves to an evil nation. We are slaves to our own evil desires. We are slaves to our own sin. On your outline this morning, there are a few questions that go under each of the points. And if you do take notes, this is the time to do it. Uh, Ask the first question under the first point, what caused our slavery? And the answer there that we're going to write is our rebellion. Our rebellion is what caused our slavery. It's not that God was a super mean God. It's not that, that, uh, you know, just bad luck. It's that we rebelled and therefore we became slaves to our own, own sin. Our rebellion caused our slavery. It was our resistance to God's plan, our, our, our rebellion to God's holiness, our selfishness or self-centeredness that caused us to be enslaved to our own sinfulness. But in the same way that the Israelites were able to come up out of that slavery under the leadership of Moses and, and were freed from their bondage, We have been offered freedom when God called us out of the slavery of our sin and Jesus broke the chains of our bondage to sin. He broke the power that sin had over us. Listen to what it says in Romans 6, verses 6 and 7. Again, that's on your outline this morning. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has, has died has been set free from sin. In other words, through Jesus and his death on the cross on our behalf, though we once were slave to sin, though we once couldn't help but sin, we couldn't get out from under sin's power, we have been set free through what Jesus did for us. And God's promise to the Israelites back in Exodus 6 rings true to us today. He says, I will deliver you from slavery. He says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. I will bring you to the land that I swore to give you. So we're reminded that Jesus is greater than our rebellion because it was our rebellion against God that caused our slavery But Jesus is able to say, I'm done with that slavery once and for all. One act and your slavery is over. Now, I'd love to say that for the Israelites, that was the end of the story. They were freed from slavery and then they lived happily ever after. But anyone who's read the Bible and knows the history knows that that's not true. We see in verse 8 and in verse 15 and verse 16 of our passage in Hebrews 3 that the people, although they'd been freed from slavery, still were inclined to rebellion. And because of their rebellion, there were consequences for them as a people. And the main consequence that we see here is that they were destined to wander in the wilderness and for these people for the rest of their lives. Which brings us to our second reminder of why Jesus is greater than our rebellion, is that is we are prone to wandering. So look back again to Hebrews 3 and verse 8. 
It says there, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. So what happened to, the, to God's people in the, the time of the Exodus? They came up out of Egypt. They were freed from their slavery through miraculous means. God opened up the Red Sea and allowed them to be free. He met with them personally. He led them with a pillar of fire and a, a pillar of cloud. Uh, I mean, just how can we not help but follow this God? But what did they do? They started to grumble and they started to complain. And ultimate, ultimately, it led to deep sin in their lives. We see in Exodus 16 and 17, their complaints start almost immediately when they enter into the wilderness. In, in six, chapter 16 and verse 3, they said, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the, hand, in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. People start saying, Slavery was better than this. We had better food back in Egypt. We had meat back in Egypt. God provided for us in slavery. Why did you bring us out here to hunger and to die? Now, God, of course, provided miraculously food for them, but then they started to complain about their lack of water. In chapter 17, verse 3, we hear a similar story. The people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? They complained, slavery was better than this. We had more water there. Although the Israelites had been freed from their pain and from their bondage and from their burdens and from their slavery, they started to say, we should have stayed in slavery. Take us back to slavery. Slavery was better than this. The food was better there. The the water was more abundant there. The Israelites had had a motto. It would have been opposite of what the New Hampshire motto is. New Hampshire motto is live free or die. And the motto of the Israelites would be we'd rather die in slavery than this. The Israelites' rebellion became so bad that while Moses went up on the mountain, Mount Sinai, to meet with God, to to receive instruction from God and to come back to the people, they started to worship a false god. They built an altar to a false god, a golden calf, and they bowed down and worshipped it as if it was God. Now in Exodus, as well as in our passage in Hebrews, it tells us that the people tested God and they provoked God with their rebellion. God could have punished them by throwing them back into slavery in Egypt, but he didn't. He allowed them to have their freedom there in the wilderness, but because of their rebellion, they wandered in the desert for 40 years, unable to enter the promised land. So here's how we are like the people of Exodus. We are prone to wandering too. Although we've been freed from our slavery to sin, we still choose to look back at our sinful actions. We still choose to look back at our sinful lifestyle like the people look back at Egypt and we say maybe we should still live that way. Wouldn't it be easier? Wouldn't it be better? Wouldn't it be more fun? Wouldn't it be less work? If I just lived like that, if we just went back to slavery, 
Now, even though we've been freed from sin's bondage, we still, like God's people, choose to rebel sometimes, don't we? I'm not going to have you raise your hands like I did with the Star Wars thing, but like, who has rebelled today? You know, we're all kind of, yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah, (laughs) thank you. One honest person. (laughs) All right, so even though we've been freed from sin's bondage, we still tend to rebel, and we still, like the Israelites, grumble to God about his plan and his way for us as if he doesn't have the ability to drop manna out of the sky into our lap to provide for us. As if he doesn't have the ability to bring water out of the rock of the desert that we're going through. We're prone to wandering. So I have another question for you that's on your outline this morning, and that is, what causes our wandering? I'm going to make it really easy for you. It's the same answer as the question before. It's our rebellion, once again, that causes our wandering. It's our resistance to God's will for our lives that causes us to wander. We, we rebel against God's perfect plan when we choose our sinful actions and we choose our lifestyle when we say or when we think, my way, my plan, my choices, they got to be better than God's. There's no, there's no way that this could be God's plan. Who does he think he is? Now, maybe we don't say that out loud, but it's, it's in there. Because we are prone to wandering and rebelling. But the good news, Jesus is greater than our rebellion. Although we're prone to wandering, he never pushes us or forces us or punishes us because of our rebellion back into slavery. Now, he could do that. He could say, I've had enough of you, okay? I'm going to punish you forever because you just continue to wander. But no, he doesn't. He forgives over and over and over again. We've been freed from that slavery once and for all through the cross. We've left Egypt behind forever. We're no longer under sin's bondage. But now we have the responsibility and the ability to choose righteousness in our lives. So listen to Romans 6 and verse 11 through 13. I put that on your outline as well. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. In other words, we were, past tense, enslaved to sin. We had no choice but to follow our master, our sinful desires. But now that we have been set free through Jesus We not only have the choice to not sin, we have the power to choose righteousness every time. But like God's people in the Exodus, we're often prone to wandering. We often choose to wandering. And do you know what the consequence of that rebellion and that wandering is? It's not slavery, because we've already been set free from slavery. It's restlessness. We have no rest. 
When we don't live obediently to God, we walk around in circles. We never enter into the peace and the joy and the rest that God promises to those who would just follow him because he knows where we should go every time. He knows what we should do every time. We see in verse 11 of Hebrews 3 that God says, Because of our rebellion, because we choose to sin over him, we shall not enter his rest. In verse 18 and 19 it says it this way, And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. The Israelites, they had no rest. They wandered in the wilderness restlessly. But if they'd just been obedient to God, if they had just followed God's plan for them, if they had just followed God instead of insisting on rebellion against him and against his leader Moses, then the promise for them was a land of rest. Rest like they couldn't have experienced in Egypt because they were in slavery and rest like they couldn't experience in the desert because they were wandering. This was a promise that God gave to Moses to pass on to the people in Exodus 33:14. He said, "My presence will go with you and I will give you rest." That promise is our last reminder today of why Jesus is greater than our rebellion. We are promised rest from slavery and wandering. For us, both slavery and wandering were a result of our rebellion. They were consequences of our choosing to not follow God's plan. But God's promise is that through Jesus, who is greater than our rebellion, we no longer will be burdened by the restlessness of slavery and the constant tension, worry, unease, unrest of wandering. We're offered peace. We're offered rest in Jesus. Back in Romans 6, verse 22, it says, But now you have been set free from sin, have become slaves to God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. I see this progression in that verse, which I think is profound and powerful and what our life should be all about. First, we're set free from the slavery of sin Second, we choose to submit to God and His plan for our lives. And then we are rewarded with an increasing closeness to God. Sanctification, which is the process of becoming more like God. And we are rewarded then with rest, both here and ultimately eternally. Now, many people have compared the promised land there in Exodus to heaven. But I don't think that's a great comparison, nor do I think it's the comparison that we see here in Hebrews, because the promised land that they were about to enter was occupied by other people, where the Israelites would face many wars and would face many struggles. In fact, they continue to face struggles there today. So it's not a great picture of heaven. The promised land is a much better illustration of submission to God's plan and resting in God's will. When I think of the Israelites finally crossing the Jordan into the promised land, I don't think about going into heaven after this 
this life of wandering and, and hurting. No, I think about it being like me finally choosing to stop living for me and choosing to submit to God and the rest that comes and knowing my purpose in being a follower of God and, and following what he would have for me. Does that mean that, that all of a sudden my life is just super easy? No, there's still wars going on. Okay, But with God, I have rest and I have peace even in the middle of turmoil. When there is surrender, there is rest. Which I just answered your third question for you. What gives us rest? Surrendering to Jesus. Jesus said this in Matthew 11, verse 28. You may know the verse. He said, Come to me, all who, are labor, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. If there's one thing that most, if not all the people in our church, in our community, in our world would say, if you said, what do you need more than anything else right now? Oh, I just need some rest. I'm too busy. <laughs> I'm too busy. I, I, I need some time off. I need, I, need some, I need some relaxation. I just need to turn my brain off for a second. I, I just need rest. But true rest can't come through a great vacation, a long weekend, a good night's sleep, a date night without kids. I'm drooling just saying all these things. All those things would be fantastic. But we can have all those things and still not have rest, right? Not true rest. True rest can only come through Jesus. How do we find true rest in Jesus? I'm going to quickly talk about three ways that are on the bottom of your outline this morning that we see in our passage in verses 12 through 14 of how we find rest First answer is found in verse 12. I want to read that verse for you. You can look at it in your Bibles. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So the first answer is we examine our hearts. That's how we find rest. We examine our hearts. As you examine your heart today, is there some rebellion there in your heart that you say, I, that, that's got to go away. Some of you here this morning may still be living in Egypt. You've, you've never given your life over to Jesus. You're, you're still living enslaved to sin. I would say, give your life to Jesus today. Because in Jesus, there is rest. I don't want to live for me anymore. Say that to him. I want to live for you. Say that to him. I want you to be a leader of my life. Say that to him. And there is rest Others of you here today have come out of Egypt. You've said that before. You know that you're a follower of Jesus. You would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I've given my life to Jesus. Uh, but there's just some rebellion there that just needs to go away. You, you just could honestly say as you examine your heart, yeah, I, I'm prone to wandering. I'm wandering a little bit today from Jesus. Say to Jesus today, I don't want to wander anymore. I want to follow you. I don't want this restlessness anymore that comes with my wandering. I surrender my life to you. There's rest in that when we examine our hearts and when we turn our hearts over to Jesus. The second answer to finding rest is found in verse 13. 
Look there with me. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So the second answer to finding rest in Jesus is we help each other. Now, no Israelite ever entered the promised land alone, and no church is made up of one person alone. No, God created the church so that we could lift each other up, so that we could build each other up, so that we could encourage each other to grow, so that we could warn each other when we see somebody who's turning back and and looking back at Egypt and saying, you know, Egypt looks better than this. Now, as we're all looking towards the promised land, the promised land of following Jesus, of surrendering to Jesus, and we see somebody that's turning back and starting to walk back towards slavery, We want to say, come with us. It's so much better in the promised land than it was in slavery. And when we are the one that is turned back, or we are the one that is wandering in the the circle of our rebellion or of our restlessness, we would hope that the rest of you would come along and say, come on, the promised land is that way. Jesus is that way. We help each other. Now, our, our job is not to look around at the church and say, I think there's some people in here that got some problems. I'm going to figure out which ones they are, and I'm going to call them out on all of them. Okay? That, that's, not, that's not what we want to do. But as we see people who are living lifestyles of sin, that's our job is to help each other to grow closer to Jesus. We examine our hearts. We help each other. And lastly, we share in Christ. Look at verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Now, there's no greater thing or person or purpose to have in common than the person of Jesus Christ. When we share in Christ, it it overshadows every problem and every trial that we might face. It overcomes every difficulty and difference that we might have with each other. It gives us collective joy and rest and peace. In a world that's worried about politics, we who share in Christ can have rest. In a world that is anxious about global warming, we who share in Christ can have rest. In a world that is nervous about the global economy, we who share in Christ can have rest. In a world that is frightened by the coronavirus, we who share in Christ can have rest. When we share in Christ, we remind ourselves that Jesus is greater than our fears. He's greater than our worries. He's even greater than our own rebellion. Our hope is not found in a rebel alliance, no matter how big a Star Wars fans we are. Our confidence is not placed in the union of the United States of America, no matter how much of a patriot we might be. We hold fast to our confidence in Jesus alone and in Jesus above anyone or anything. We boast in the hope of Jesus and no other. He alone can bring us out of our slavery to sin. He alone can bring us out of the rebellion of our wandering and our restlessness. He alone offers us peace. He alone offers us rest. He alone offers us life here and now, and life eternal. Jesus is greater than our rebellion. I would ask the worship team to come on back up.
going to go to prayer in a moment, and I'd like to ask you as we go to prayer to examine your own heart this morning. Is there rebellion in your heart today that needs to be dealt with? If there is, ask God to bring you out of your slavery or your wandering. Ask Him to bring you into the rest that only comes through submitting and turning every aspect of your life over to Him. Let's pray together. God, we are eternally grateful that you are greater than our rebellion. If that wasn't true, we would be lost in our sin. We would be unable to free ourselves from sin's power over us and and enter into life and rest. We are thankful that your greatness is seen in your power over our wandering as well, that your sacrifice on the cross is not just for our past sins, but for our present and our future ones too. We pray for those who are here this morning that have never turned their lives over to you, that, that they would do so today. We pray for those who are struggling with wandering in their lives, that you would point them back towards you. And we pray that each of us, as we consider our own rebellion, would examine our hearts and, and help each other so that we might share in Christ and experience the peace and rest that only he can bring. We pray today in Jesus' name, knowing that He is the one who is greater than our rebellion. He has made a way for our salvation and our rest and our eternal life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.